McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hello Pompey fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 118. This week Pompey maintained their unbeaten record in the league after a 0-0 draw away at Doncaster Rovers and now sit third in the league table after four games. As you can probably already tell, I am not Hugh Bunce and we are still a man down at the PO Forecast as Hugh is still unwell. Slightly less funny when he's been ill for over a week, so we're giving him a bit less grief now and actually sending fairly good wishes to him. So, Hugh, get well soon, recover quickly, hope the uh, the medication kicks in. I was so close to making an STD joke, so close. But in his absence, um, I am joined, as usual, by the inevitable future Portsmouth Beard of the Year winner and Pompey News Now Rear of the Year winner, Frederick Webb. Freddie, how are you doing, man? Not so bad, Andy. How's it going? Um yeah, always always great to be on. So my best wishes to Hugh. I'm sure he's doing all right. He'll, he'll recover at some point. And yeah, this week's been great. Freelancing for the news. You may have seen some of my thoughts on the transfer, on where Pompey are missing in the transfer window on there, which we'll talk about later. And yeah, just a general happy week, really. Good to hear, Fred. Lovely to hear. And this evening, we are also joined by Ryan Stilwell, who is a presenter and analyst for Pompey Live on Express FM, and is also Freddie's closest competition for that Beard of the Year award. Ryan, it's great to have you making your debut on the PO Forecast. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy, and it's a delight to join you both this evening to talk about some football. I will be petitioning Mr. Webb to change his Twitter bio to your introduction for him. <laughs> I think it could catch. Um, before Maybe. we move to the football, though, Ryan, I've seen on Twitter your disappointment at Gilliam, Gillingham uh, cancelling their Whitney Houston Tribute Act. Have you recovered from this? And how is your week going, potentially Whitney Houston free? That is the big question for the evening. There was uh, some weeping in the shower when I found out the news. I follow one of the more popular Jill's blog channels. I think it's called Jill's in the Blood. And they've been talking about just some of the major problems they've had this season so far. They've got half a team. One of their strikers is faking injuries. Another looks to be going. But this is the real issue that struck the club. Uh, If you've invested so much in the hospitality facilities at your football club and you can't even get Whitney's tribute in, you may as well just pack the season in. Call it a day. Yeah, things are bad, right? Things are bad. I'm I'm sat here trying to think of some Whitney Houston puns, but I've literally got nothing. And I think that's okay as a 30-year-old bloke. I think it's all right that I don't have any off the top of my head. That could be I wouldn't want to be known as the guy who on my pure forecast debut derailed the show with Whitney Houston puns either. (laughs) You feel free to knock yourself out, right? See if you can fit as many in as possible. That's your task. Get a track list up on Google 
And for the next <laughs> half an hour or so, fit in as many as possible. And people have got to try and count how many you managed to fit in. That's quite um, a tempting challenge. They'll all go completely over my head. And like I say, I'm okay with that. It's not quite my vibe. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is what happens. We just derail so quickly. Barely a football podcast at times. But to the football, that's kind of what people are listening to, I, other than wanting to hear Freddie's insanely relaxing voice. We are almost 10% of the way through the season now. So four games down, 42 to go. And the Blues are still unbeaten, yet to concede a goal in the league. And we sit just below, but level on points with Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham at the top of the table. So the plan for today is having a, a bit of a chat about that action-packed draw at Doncaster, a classic nil-nil, and where this leaves the Blues in the table. We are going to be joined by Adam from the Progress with Unity Wigan Athletic podcast to preview the game this weekend against Wigan Athletic. Um, there are a couple of familiar Pompey faces in that Wigan starting eleven, so we'll check in on them. And we're also going to just have a chat about a couple of the new kits that have been released at Pompey this week, discuss whether it's time for Pompey to reassess what would constitute success for this season, and obviously talk about the closing of the transfer window and where Pompey potentially need to fill a gap if we are bringing in two or three players before the window ends, as Danny Cowley has has predicted this afternoon. So let's start with the Doncaster 0-0 draw. When we look back at the season next summer, I don't think we're going to look back at this one and call it an absolute classic, but it could be potentially a really valuable point away from home. So we saw a slightly different Pompey 11. So Joe Morrell came in for Sean Williams to get a run in centre midfield. We saw Ogilvy coming in at left back and it was a fairly, well, it is a strong looking Pompey team on paper. Ryan, Pompey started really quickly against Shrewsbury a few days before but in this game, it followed more of a similar pattern where Pompey looked stronger in the second half like they did against Crew. So how would you rate the Blues in their attempts to try and hit the ground running early doors in this game against Doncaster? I think we struggled quite early uh, from, the first, well, from the first kick of the ball. It was noted in quite a few previews for the game that Doncaster would be comfortable with the football, certainly with that midfield trio, if you would call it, moving the ball around each other, being comfortable to drop it into the full-backs. And I think with Pompey's press, it's, it's geared to play against teams who are comfortable with the ball at the back because you can you can engage closer to the opposition goal. Against Shrewsbury, for example, they were so quick to get it out of their back line into Dan Doe, Sam Cosgrove, that really your line of engagement has to be from where the ball meets the chest and the heads of those forwards. But because Doncaster were happy to play it around at the back, you could move that line forward. But I don't think our press was quite working. We seemed a little bit sluggish getting getting the pressure in early doors. Players like Rick Hackett, Fairchild, Gasson Ahadmi, they were sort of running to about two yards away from the respective ball carriers for Doncaster and then not necessarily putting pressure on them. So whoever would be on the ball for... Doncaster, let's say it was Cameron John, he would see Gasson had me moving across, standing, essentially stopping two yards away, and John just would look at him and go, okay, you're still not applying pressure here. You're just a bit closer than you were before. And it was a bit too easy for Doncaster to to play around players like Ahadmi or Marquis, where they weren't putting that extra legwork in and playing to the negative space created behind them because of the press. And that was where most of Doncaster's early attacks would come from and not 
entirely effective press playing into the space behind and there were quite a few occasions in the first half an hour or so where several Doncaster players would be running straight at the Pompey back line with no protection in front of it. Ben Close, the amount of times he would make untracked runs into the penalty box because for exactly that reason, it was a bit disconcerting and it was, it was actually quite pleasant to watch Doncaster play uh, to give them their credit, especially when you, you look at the team they put out. We'll get, get onto that in a moment. But for us, absolutely, we, we were slow to get going in that first half. I've had a couple of debates about their disallowed goal. It's it's very soft. I'm not. I'm, I would be absolutely furious if it was a Pompey goal disallowed for the, what is barely a, a, a nudge. And we'll still give credit to Gavin Bazzuni for that save. But we just about hung in there. And, and as you say, second half we we took over the game. We changed the line of engagement. We started getting in their faces, forcing scramble clearances that were being met on the halfway line by. Clark Robertson, who seemed to be charging out of the back line to head everything back towards Doncaster territory in the second half. And unfortunately, we, we just couldn't get the game won. And I think when you can make the argument, or both arguments, that you should have won and you should have lost, you probably walk away from the stadium thinking a draw was the fair result in the end. Yeah, I think that's an extremely fair synopsis of how the game changed between the first and the second half. Freddie... Ryan's commented there on on how Robertson made himself a real physical presence. And it was notable, I thought, in the Shrewsbury game, how the defensive, not capabilities, but maybe the defensive composure that Pompey had disappeared a bit after he went off with his niggle uh, at halftime and Ogilvy was forced to play left centre-back. Would you say that Robertson is one of the more important players now in terms of composure and has got to that point extremely quickly in the Pompey starting eleven? Uh, he definitely, he definitely keeps the back four um, settled, composed, and from being at the game, being in the stand right behind the goal, uh, I had no doubt about the back four's defensive capability. Also, saw, saw some listeners before the game up the Blues; they were northern based as well. But defensively, Pompey were great in the penalty area and just around it. But like Danny Cowley said post match, I don't think they defended well as a team. The centre halves and the back four did very well; dealt with pretty much most of the crosses. Um, really, Doncaster's only main chance was the was the row. Well, I think it was row that shot, and then that was disallowed. It, it, the rebound was disallowed. Don't know why. I thought at first it was offside, but he wasn't by the sounds of it. Um, but the midfield it, it didn't really support them that well. The gaps between the defensive midfield were huge, um, just as big as the gap between the midfield and the stri- and the strikers. Actually, that was the main problem. The mis- midfield was very disjointed. It was similar to the Fleetwood game in that regard. And there was so much space for Doncaster to play in. Ben Close and John Bostock bossed that midfield for them. Um, but like um, the interview with uh, the Doncaster fan last week, they didn't, have, they didn't really have an outlet for me. Um, I didn't know where they were going to score the goals from, even though they were building out of the midfield very nicely. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that Pompey... I thought that the back four was fairly comfortable for most of the game, especially in the second half. First half was a bit of a worry, but yeah, Clark Robertson, that partnership with Sean Raggett looks great already, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was one of the things that Dan did touch on last week in the Doncaster preview was wondering where their goals were going to come from. And they've, you know, got a huge number of injuries in that front line and it doesn't really look like at the moment it's going to work out with Omar Bogle there. So they've got got a bit of a headache from that respect. Uh, as we move into the second half, 
and Pompey start creating more chances. Potentially that press starts getting, to use Ryan's term, sort of a bit more in their faces and forcing a bit more, you know, forcing those errors, forcing a few more mistakes, uh, playing the ball out. We see a couple of chances for Curtis, one with a flick. There's a that half volley from Jacobs, you know, really good save from the Donny keeper who I think made it into the EFL team of the week. Yeah, um, uh, he, he was not named man of the match for that game and that was probably the biggest disgrace of the entire 90 minutes. Um, yeah. No, no I, I, we thought before the game that Dolberg would be, Pontus Dolberg would be a bit of an embarrassment because of his gaff against Accrington. But no, he pulled off two excellent saves, three excellent saves and then the penalty. So... He definitely stepped yeah. up for them. I saw someone on Twitter after that mistake against Accrington say that he'd obviously have an absolute worldie against Pompey. And sure enough, um, grass is green, water is blue. People have worldies against Pompey after bad performances against other people. That's like the way of the world, isn't it? Um, but yeah, we have a, a few other chances to score. And then we get to the penalty. For me, it's a pretty stonewall penalty. I've not really seen anyone argue that it wasn't. Um, and... The ball goes to Sean Williams to take the penalty. It was obviously a, a pre-decided, you know, it was a pre-made decision. Um, as soon as the penalty was won, Williams was coming up to take the penalty and someone gave the ball to him. Can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but it was obviously, it was something that had been decided beforehand. And yeah, keeper saves the penalty. And it's very easy to say this afterwards, having seen the keeper go the right way and save it. You'd say the body position sort of almost telegraphed it if you're being harsh, but the keeper does have to go the right way. It's a good save. Ryan, 2020 hindsight's easy. It was decided in advance that William was going to take the penalty. Is that a decision you'd stand by? Or do you think there are other penalty takers in the lineup who, for you, should be higher up the order in terms of penalty priority? And by that, I mean proven penalty takers like Sean Raggett and Lee Brown. Well, as far as I understand it, Sean Williams was... uh a regular penalty taker at Millwall as well. Mm. And that's in the tier above where you're playing against, in theory, better goalkeepers as well. So when I saw Sean Williams stepping up to take the penalty, it didn't make me pause for thought. I wasn't worried about it. And players miss penalties. I think, obviously, once you once you miss a penalty, not a great penalty, but I'll still give points to Dalberg for contorting his body to get down low. Because it's almost... It's that close to the centre of the goal. It's almost under him when he has to extend his arm out to get to it. So I'll I'll give him points for that, but it is a poor penalty. And of course, there'll be a conversation every time someone misses a penalty going, well, why is he taking it? But I know the third tier of English football isn't exactly the zenith of footballing ability, but ultimately... Oh, what are you implying you, there, Ryan? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just implying, you know, it's probably not uh, a 12.30 kickoff in the Premier League that we're going to be watching. But even, even though that is the case, you should still have more than one player in your team that can take a penalty. I saw some comments on Twitter saying, well, it should only be player X taking penalties, i.e. Curtis, for example. But you have multiple players on the team at this level that should be able to take a penalty. Unfortunately, on this occasion, Sean misses one, but that happens in, that happens in football. I don't want to sound like Kenny Jacket there going, that's football, but penalties oh. do get missed. That is a, that is a fact of the game. And we can't put the entire game down to one penalty because there were several other factors that prevented us from winning that game. And there were several other chances as well that when you, you look back on them, they're probably just as golden as the penalty. 
if I was to reference the John Marquis header from the corner, great work by Raggett to head it back across goal. Marquis is unmarked, six yards out, goal at his mercy. Dalberg is stranded in the middle. There's no one on the posts. Either side, it's 1-0. And yeah. that's before the penalty. And all of a sudden, we're, we're not having this conversation. The yeah. Ronin Curtis chance, eh, I can understand why the temptation is there to flick it. I he had don't time think to take he... a touch and get out of his feet from where Exactly. Else, I think that that would be my Has anyone communicated that to him? A, they should have. Uh, B, if they did, did Curtis hear it slash listen? It is a cutesy little flick. I don't know. Yeah. Again, he had time to bring it down and, and lash it. So, yeah, to that extent, there were chances outside of the penalty to finish the game. I don't think we can hang the singular point we obtained at Doncaster on. Did we put the right penalty taker in place? I think that's deflecting away from not so major issues within the game, but other factors that prevented us from winning that game, especially against a weakened Doncaster side. They had several injuries heading into that game. Vajiri Okunabiri was out, who leads the line for them. John Taylor, who you'd expect to start on the right-hand side of that front three, also out. Leading the line for them, outside of the vastly experienced Tommy Rowe, was Thiago Chakur, who's 18, and this is the first professional season he's ever played. And I believe it was uh, Charlie Seaman as well. Again, it's his first professional season. I was speaking to the Doncaster commentator before the match. I believe he was on behalf of uh, BBC Sheffield South Yorkshire. And he was saying, with the amount that they're having to prop up their first team with, with academy stand-ins right now, people who have about the same professional experiences, you know, Harry Kavanagh, for instance, he said, if we get out of any game right now with a nil-nil until we get those injuries back into the team, they would be absolutely delighted. So I think in terms of the context of the game, having struggled so much in the first half, yeah, yes, we controlled the second half, but when you, you, when teams have a half each, you go draws a fair point. I think in the context of pre-match, who Doncaster were missing, you might have thought about, well, this is probably the best time to play them before they've got their entirety of their team in. But then again, if you look at our starting 11, Rico Hackett, Fairchild operating as a right winger, despite having absolutely no right foot. And it's probably not even his fault he's on the right wing. Marcus is out. We have no one else who can really start on the right wing because we have a heavy reliance on Curtis playing on the left. Gassner had been in the middle. I didn't really make much preseason because I had a heavily pregnant partner I was looking after. I don't quite see it yet with him. Um, there, there are some little flashes there. The ball into Curtis, getting past Roshan Williams for the penalty, but... There's a killer instinct I'm not seeing there right now and, and some first touch issues as well. But I think the main thing in the first half for us was Hackett Fairchild on the right flank. If you've got no right foot and you're constantly cutting in on your left foot, it's not as bad when you're running Curtis because he does have two feet. I know we see him cut inside a lot and shoot, but he still does have the capacity to go outside on his left foot. Hackett Fairchild can't do that on the right side. So it essentially shuts down one third of the field you can play the left flank, you can play through the centre, but because Freeman wasn't overlapping a lot and Hackett Fairchild was always cutting in because he can't go on his right, you shut down that side. It allows the Doncaster defence to, to be more compact on one side of the pitch. It allowed Cameron John and Brandon Horton, the left-sided defenders, to, 
to stay in a little more. And I felt that was actually the thing that changed the game was when Michael Jacobs came on. We put him on the left flank. Again, he's two-footed. We put Ronan Curtis on the right flank, uh, right flank again, two-footed. The fact that we were able to stretch the field more second half and go flank to flank, pull Doncaster's offence apart, that's when you see us starting to get those passing lanes opened. Like I referenced Ben Close running through the defence in the first half, that's where you saw Pompey players start to do it in the second half. So a weakened Doncaster side, but we weren't exactly full strength either. I take the point, especially when you consider it's a fourth game without conceding. So then based on that, same question to both of you. I'll start with you, Freddie. One point gained or two points lost based off Ryan's analysis there? I would say the draw is the fair result. The XG for the game makes you feel sick. Um, Ports have had 2.17 XG to Doncaster's 0.24. Yuck. But that, that, that completely disregards the context of Ports of barely playing well in the first half. And like Ryan said, I thought Rico hackett Fairchild really struggled on that right wing. Really struggled. Because as well as not having a right foot, really, he takes longer to shift onto a stronger foot than Curtis does, simply mm-hmm. because he hasn't played as much. So, so that right flank is even slower. And if there's no overlap there, then it then it's a real struggle. I think he plays better in the middle. So if you are going to play Hackett-Fairchild, I'll play him there or on the left. Um, so in Fred, ge- you haven't it, answered the question there. You've got three words... Two points lost or one point gained? Uh, One point gained, I think. I don't think they played well enough to win the game overall. Had we gone there with our strongest 11, i.e. Harness starting on the right, you'd have to say two points dropped. But with the standings we had to make that don't really fit, yeah, I'd go away with one point gained. Lovely. Positivity, good stuff. I think, yeah, you have to say that Pompey had the chances to win the game, completely aside from the penalty. Freddie, you mentioned the XG for that game. Now, I remember you saying earlier you weren't quite sure what the disallowed goal was for. Uh, On the replays, as the ball comes into the box, uh, just as it comes across, Tommy Rowe, Clark Robertson's walking back uh, to basically get back into position. And he essentially walks into Tommy Rowe. And Tommy Rowe puts his arm out horizontally just to, you know, don't step, don't step on my foot type thing. And uh, graduating from the school of Nathan Thompson was Clark Robertson falling to the floor. It was it, it, this exact moment as well that Connor Ogilvie uh, had a severe case of ball chasing as he completely drops around head, goes for the ball. So technically, play stopped before the first row effort, the one that Bazuni saved, never mind the second one. Now, had obviously Doncaster scored, Watching it again, it should have been a goal. I, I won't hide behind that. I do wonder what the XG chart would have looked like because the first shot, six yards out, unmarked, Bazunu's ascension is near post. That's got to be, you know, just under half a goal expected. The second one, you're probably looking to almost converting a penalty type. So that's all, you know, it's probably over one goal expected from those two shots alone. Yeah, pretty much. Um, XG sort of can sometimes be a bit weird because I'm not. There's some there's sometimes certain shots I think, oh, that's definitely whatever that is, a rough figure. But then the algorithm or the person covering the game gives it less for whatever reason. But yeah, I don't know what. 
Let me just. Right, you, check. You've got to be careful there, man. If you start doubting XG, people start <laughs> doubting a lot of things in their life. <laughs> the XG gods will bring suffering. Upon yeah, you. no, I was exactly. going to say it, it like, would just it would just be like when uh, after that Oxford playoff. Oh god, yeah, not again. Oh. <laughs> the, the certainties think, in life are like a, a Fred liking XG, death, and taxes. Those are the three biggies. <laughs> so if um if one of those starts not happening, I'm I didn't not say sure I didn't say it was do. everything. If I was an XG slave, I would have said. Pompey should have won that game just because of the XG, but no. I think Fair one enough, of my uh, I think one of my head desk comments from that second leg against Oxford was we've just played 120 minutes of football against a side who didn't score and we still lost. It's great being a Pompey fan, it really is. It's a unique experience, isn't it? Um, I, I will mention one last positive thing about that game though. The substitutes changed the game very much. Oh, absolutely. And and yeah. even and even with some of the tactical tweaks, I thought it was quite clear that Danny Cowley is more proactive and looking to improve the side all the time. Even the little thing of swapping Curtis and Hackett Fairchild over in the first half to try and get something out of it. Those little those little things keeps the confidence of the fans in the stand. To think that even though they didn't play very well in the first half, I thought that you know that in the second half they could come out and do something different. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment, Fred. I just want to touch on another an honorable mention very similar to how we did last week to be fair and again Gavin Bazunu even when the ball you know the or the players technically stopped for an infringement he didn't know that with that that first save made a couple of really good saves uh, one from Ben Close with his feet as well can you remember a better start to a Pompey career Freddie we'll go with you for this one um than than Gavin Bazunu it's only been a few games we don't want to get too carried away but in terms of hitting the ground running and being Pompey man of the match for Pompey News now a couple of times, can you remember a better start to a Pompey career? Oh, God, putting me on the spot completely, aren't That's you? What I <laughs> but it's... Gavin Bazuna is showing me up because I said when he signed, I thought, it's definitely a style over the standard. I thought McGilvery, I thought losing McGilvery was tough, uh, but it's obvious already in those two games that Bazunu's, um capability is very high he's got it's obvious he has that Premier League and international pedigree um, and obviously he commands his area incredibly well uh, you mentioned the Ben Close shot um, I don't think McGilvery or Bass would have gone off the line they probably would have saved it still I think but they wouldn't have gone off the line and closed him da- closed it down like that and I think to have a keeper that's that active off his line definitely helps with the style of play and also put, takes pressure off the centre-halves. Racket isn't entirely, um, you know, stranded in that sense. He could just he can, he, he can focus on going out a little bit more, fully taking on um, the, uh, the main striker. And he knows if, he, if, if a clearance goes wrong and he misses, the, and he misses it, the keeper can cover him completely. But I'm sure someone will mention, <laughs> mention off the top of my head a Pompey player who's come on and done the business and had an excellent start like that but at the moment there are so many examples going from ahead I can't think of any I mean I yeah I went straight for goalkeepers and sort of my long lost long lost sort of wishing they had more time at Pompey is a, a goalkeeper called Ryan Fulton who played 12 games in 2016 oh, no. and <laughs> what are you saying oh no for Ryan that's, a, that's a niche point quality. isn't it Trevor Car- <laughs> Trevor, are you going to mention Trevor Carson next I'm, I'm not no I'm I'm sticking to Ryan Fulton I had a little um, a little Google of where he's at now he's at Ham- Hamilton Academical now and I just remember him coming in and I think in his first game he saved a penalty against Oxford and then I remember seeing him make one of the best saves I have ever seen live at a football game tipping the ball onto a post at the Fratton end 
And he was just such a good keeper. I think we got, him on, we got him on loan from Liverpool, I think, at the time. Um, that could be wrong. Don't at me. But I think it was Liverpool, yeah. Was it? Okay, sweet. Do at me at how good my memory is then. But <laughs> he was absolutely quality. But that's the only other sort of comparison I could think of of a young keeper uh, in, coming in. Ryan, have you got anything lined up there to compare with? I was saying, I was saying, oh no, because it just gives me flashback to goalkeeper issues that season. Oh, uh, awesome. Especially what Brilliant. happened yeah. with another Ryan uh, following Fulton, yeah. So oh. um, we'll quickly move off that. If we're talking about players who lit it up the moment they stepped on the field, uh, it didn't actually last long because he, he started to fall down a little bit come September. But Eric Husaklep had an extraordinary start to his Pompey career. He had oh that volley the, against Blackpool, that volley against Blackpool <sighs> in the ninety fourth minute, and he had a three minute cameo debut away to Bristol City in a nil nil draw. He came on in the 90th minute and he sk- he went on three mazy runs and he skinned half of the homestand. He was extraordinary for 180 seconds. We couldn't wait to see what he was capable of. Um, he-, he scored that volley against Blackpool. I believe he scored another cracker against Steve Cottrell's Nottingham Forest, who'd recently been with us. That was the day we were chanting, your taxis outside. Uh, he was, ex- yeah, he had an extraordinary month and a half for us. Tailed off a little bit, but if I think of players who immediately came in and did the business like Bazunu, it was Husaklep. Uh, but Bazunu might even be bigger than that as a start because he's such a rounded goalkeeper. He, as you rightly mentioned, comes out from his goal line to get things quickly. He can take a hit when he's catching a ball mid there. He was absolutely clattered in the Shrewsbury game when a bouncing through ball came to the edge of the box and he almost somersaulted in the air as he caught it, kept onto it. And it's his, his distribution as well. He's so comfortable, 25 yards from goal, ball at his feet. He'll drop a 50-yarder straight onto the foot of the winger and he'll just trot back into his penalty box. He is a very rounded goalkeeper and the, the young age he is, yeah, Freddie is right. You can see that the ceiling is so high for him. Yeah, absolutely. It's... There are a couple of times I've looked up so far at the Fratton end and seen him on the centre circle, essentially, and just looked so composed. I remember I played goalkeeper at a very low level when I was a bit younger, and I remember just being terrified of being too far outside my box because I wasn't sure I'd be able to track back in time. I mean, it's a whole other world, but just being that comfortable at that age, being literally in the centre circle while Pompey are attacking and feeling like you own your half enough to, to... be in control of any sort of break that could happen from the Pompey attack. It was, yeah, it's just a really strong signing. It's it's good to see. Um, that result, the Donny result, leaves Pompey third in the table. And I guess that raises the question for us to answer really quickly. Sh- should we be reassessing our predictions and expectations based off the first four games? Or are we maintaining the fairly unsure expectations and predictions we had and just enjoy the ride because the the games we had so far on paper haven't been the toughest we're going to have this season. Do we start looking upwards more than we were or do we just keep enjoying the ride? Sort of a bit of a free hit this first start of the season. Freddie, what do you think? Uh, I always look to wait for a few more games before potentially changing my expectation. Um, I know it's only four games and there are so many positives to take already, but I still think there are gaps in this squad to say, that they're a genuine playoff promotion contender, I think. Um, They're definitely on their way there. But I think at the moment, my prediction of around sixth to eighth is 
I'm probably going to keep that. Hang on, your prediction thing. is getting more and more vague every single week. <laughs> Sixth to eighth. Yeah. That's like an eighth. That's like 12.5% of the entire league. You've just predicted a bracket that Pompey would sit in. That's a what, free positions. Yeah, it's pathetic, Fred. <laughs> um, Ryan, what do you think? Pre-season, uh, before the first ball was kicked, I had us the top half bracket outside the playoffs, i.e. 7 through 12. As I've watched a few games, I'm narrowing that prediction down a little bit to, uh, I'd say we look like a team that's going to finish about eighth again, to be honest, where we were last season, because we've played four four teams who are riddled with problems right now. Most of the prized assets of that crew team were taken to pastures in the championship over the course of 2021. Doncaster were propping up their first team with academy players. Shrewsbury, there are some questions there over the, the overall quality of that team. And then Fleetwood, they've got some bright talents like Shaden Morris, Max Clark, Callum Morton. But I do question the overall ability of that team to find find a goal. And then if you look at the, the performances themselves have been weird because we've played against two ball-playing teams, two build-from-the-back ball-playing teams so far in Crew and in Doncaster. Now, we absolutely dominated one of those games. And then the other game, it took us about an hour to get going. And then we've played two quite direct teams who want to get it into the, the feet of the attackers as much as quickly as possible. I Fleetwood, they were just sending it straight into the feet of Shaden Morris, Callum Morton, going from there. And then against Shrewsbury, who deployed their air raid attack to Udo and Cosgrove. Now, Fleetwood, we never got going in that game. We won, but we never got going. And Shrewsbury obviously the early goal helps, but I never felt tense dealing with that air raid attack. I thought we acquitted ourselves really well. Obviously, stoppage time was a bit of a panic, but for the most part, we we handled ourselves. So two ball-playing sides and two direct sides, we've controlled one game and we've basically been under siege one game in each of those. And these are, these are against teams that I'm not predicting any of to finish in the top half this season. Not that it's entirely their own fault, as a as I've said about, you know, basically the off-season transitions that these teams have gone through. But Wigan, MK Don's up next. We're going to be playing some of the brighter players in this division. Some of the players who can line you up one-on-one outside or through the middle and hurt you. That's going to be the massive test for us. Where do we rank Where do we rank against the, the genuine top six contenders? The final five days in the transfer window, playing what I believe is a playoff contender in Wigan, it's going to be a very, a very informative weekend for this football club. But right now, I, I'm sticking rather like Freddie, just outside the playoffs. I think there's, for the most part, a team that will get games won. But right now, I'm a little bit concerned with our creativity in the final third. Mm. We just don't seem to break teams down all that well. So yeah, this weekend, I know we talk about you know how important three points is in April. This particular weekend in August will shape our entire season, I think. I think, you could, yeah, you can certainly say that about this weekend. I think if you look at the next five weeks, you talk about crunch periods of time and you look at some of the fixtures we've got between, well, this Wigan game on the 28th of August, in the five weeks after that, if we discount the Football League trophy game against Wimbledon, you've got Wigan, MK Dons, 
Charlton, Burton and Sunderland all in that window, plus a home game against Cambridge, no disrespect to them. That's more of a game you potentially expect to win. But that Wigan, MK Dons, Charlton, who presumably will have found their feet a bit more by then, Burton away is, I think, one of the hardest games in the division and Sunderland at Fratton Park. I think by the 2nd of October, so in, in what, five or six weeks' time, we will know what, what are what we should be aiming to attain this season. Because up to this point, I don't know about how things have been on Express, but a lot of what we've been doing has been not guesswork, but pretty educated guesswork. Um, but I think we'll have a, a lot more information by by the end of that run of play. So keep listening to the pod till then, and we'll actually have some definite information for you, essentially, rather than the rambling you're getting at the moment. Uh, After so- 46 games in a season, our predictions will be right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll be asking for people's predictions every single week. Fred, if you can nail it by week uh, by match day forty five, then uh, hang on, we'll you didn't happy. blister Ryan for having, having a larger bracket than I did. I, was, I only I, had three I, positions. I he, had, he, had, he, had, he had about five. I, I did see your head drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I decided to let, uh, leave that one outside off stump as it's Ryan's uh, sort of debut on the pod. Freddie, you've you've been here long enough to take a bit of grief, as everyone who listens knows. Bless you. <laughs> Okay, so that sums up the Doncaster game quite nicely. So we're going to start looking ahead to the game against Wigan Athletic this weekend coming up. It's great to be joined by Adam from the Progress with Unity Wigan Athletic podcast. And Adam is going to have a chat with us about all things Wigan Athletic. What happened last season when there were some quite big financial issues going on and Wigan narrowly avoided relegation by one point and talk us through what life is like under Liam Richardson with players such as Jack Watmore and Tom Naylor in their ranks. Okay, so it's great to be joined by uh, Adam from the Progress with Unity Wigan Athletic podcast for his second appearance on the PO forecast. Adam, welcome back. Lovely to see you. Uh, how have you been? Yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah, since since I've last seen you, obviously we managed to stay in League One. Um the, the owners are putting together a good squad. Um, yeah, and I look forward to hopefully getting the hat-trick ball uh, next sometime next year. <laughs> so, yeah, you you, men- you mentioned there that um, last season you just about escaped relegation. I think when we spoke to you, it was fairly early on in the season from memory and things were a bit tumultuous. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I was... Uh, I was thinking it was the yeah it was before the first game last season was uh, very odd for us obviously being in administration it was like the football was secondary mm. to everything else that was going on so I kept forgetting when I actually spoke to people but yeah you're right we didn't have any owners did we when we last spoke to you no it was all a little bit up in the air so for Pompey fans who may well not have been keeping too much track over uh, of Wigan over the course of the season you ended up finishing twentieth one point away from relegation and you had a worse goal difference than I think it was Rochdale who had one point below you. So it really was, you know, touch and go whether you stayed up or not. How was the last season received at the DW Stadium? Was it just relief to stay up and get a bit more stability? I think it was more than relief. I think it was, uh, I actually compared it as an achievement to winning the FA Cup. Um, Now, I don't know whether any of your experiences since you've won the FA Cup have compared to it because uh, we're kind of very similar in the pathways that we've taken since we've won the Cup. Um, albeit we didn't quite make it to the bottom division, but we were pretty close to doing that. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. I thought Liam Richardson, superb. How we galvanised a team. <laughs> 56 players we had last season. 
Now, I, I heard your last podcast talking about rotation. That wasn't that wasn't rotation. That was just whoever was available on a Saturday morning. I think I think I was next in line to get a game at centre half at one point. Yeah, what brilliant, brilliant achievement. Really, really good. And to be honest, during the summer months, uh, the transfer window, we were just like thinking, well, it can't be as bad as last year. So we were all very excited about the new season. Yeah, yeah, it seemed that the only way was going up from there. Um, you mentioned Liam Richardson doing an amazing job with pretty much no resources whatsoever, bringing in any players he could. Um, do you trust him now to take a step further to build a team and build a style of play from last yeah, season? I don't see why not. I think I think it was absolutely right to give him the chance. I have a feeling that right at the beginning, when we first went into administration and Cook resigned, I'm not convinced he wanted the job. Uh, because simply he wasn't just a manager, he was pretty much having to do everything. Um, after he, Sheridan came in and he realised what a bad job Sheridan had done, I think he just thought, well, I may as well step in and do my best. Uh, we had Gregory Ock from the academy who stepped up and was helping him with the first team, which I think was really a good idea because a lot of them were young players from the academy. Um, and by the time the owners came in, he got a few games, it was going okay. And even before we'd secured uh, safety, they gave him a contract. And I think every Wigan fan was saying, well, he deserves a chance. And from my perspective, I think he's had a good summer. I think he's done really well in the transfer market. I think he's building a team. Um, he's brought in a couple of players that he knows well which a lot of managers do, obviously. And I think probably you know very well <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, I, I like the way he speaks. He talks sense. He's down to earth. Uh, I've spoken to him a couple of times, sort of outside of uh, sort of the formalities of uh, press conferences. And he's very down to earth, uh, laughing a joke with you. And um, I think he's quite well connected. And I think more important than anything, I think the players really like him. He's a very likeable manager um, and he gets his respect through that rather than, I guess, herdryer treatment. Uh, that's not to say I don't know what goes on behind the dressing room doors, but he doesn't look like a hairdresser type, a hairdresser, <laughs> herdryer type manager. <laughs> He's certainly not a hairdresser anyway. <laughs> So that maybe that sort of worked in uh, in combination with Paul Cook and all the time they've been doing jobs together. If he's sort of the quiet, friendly, good cop hand on the shoulder, and Paul Cook is a slightly more hairdresser kind of manager potentially. Um, you mentioned there that yeah, a couple of the players that uh, Liam Richardson's brought in this summer are very well known to Pompey. So Tom Naylor and Jack Watmore are the two names that jump out that we'll be sort of intimately intimately familiar with. Um, it feels like we ask this every single week in a match preview because so many players have left Pompey and stayed in League One over the last year or two. Um, but how are those two settling in? And what other players have Wigan brought in over the summer? Yeah, so yeah, so far, so good. Uh, I mean, Naylor got a bit of an affinity with him anyway. I'm part of the Supporters uh, Trust and we actually sponsor Naylor. So <laughs> um, that said... I can't see his name being read out very often with the sponsorship because I don't think he scores many goals. And 
he's not the sort of player who gets substituted really either, I don't think. so. Oh, when, he, when he scores, Adam, you'll know about it. They're thunderbolts when he does score. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but settled in well in midfield, played centre-back last night um, and I did really well at centre-back, uh, which might mean that Richardson isn't as panicked into getting a, cent- a more experienced centre-back in. Um, and what more, very impressed with him. I think, uh, I mean, I spoke to a few pod- Portsmouth fans. Um, uh, they, they basically said the big issue with him was his fitness. Um, can you get games out of him? I suppose the defensive equivalent of Michael Jacobs, really, in the sense that can, if he can play a full season, he's clearly going to do a good job. He's very good footballer. He reads the game well. Um, you know, he can play both types of games. He, he, I'm not saying he's rapid, but he's quick enough because he's quick in his mind. is quick, so he's not really behind the play where he has to catch it up. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm impressed with both of them so far. And I know the reputations that that players get when they leave. And I think maybe sometimes it could be that it's time for them to leave. Um, but obviously yourselves, I mean, I don't know whether you were disappointed or not. I mean, by all accounts, what I've heard is that certainly in midfield, you're very happy with Tunnicliffe, um, who's possibly the kind of replacement for Nela. Um, but having seen Tony Cliff myself, um, if Tony Cliff had come in the summer, I'd probably said, yeah, fair enough. But, you know, I think for me, Nela's doing a good job. And I, and I think what more at the moment, I know we're only four games in, but for me, already potentially a favourite for player of the season, if we can get enough games out of him. And he rested him last night. So Richardson obviously knows that He's probably someone that you don't want to play in the cup games. Uh, and maybe if you can try and rest him in the odd league game. But yeah, so far, so good for me. I'm re- really happy with those two. And as for the other signings, obviously the big one, um, I guess, was Charlie White coming in from Sunderland. Uh, again, leaves Sunderland. Sunderland don't think much of him. Um, he hasn't scored for us yet. So maybe they're right. But I think my view would be that he's doing a good job for the team um, and anyone who scores over 30 goals in a season isn't a bad player. So uh, now we've got obviously James McLean, everyone's favourite footballer, if uh, if he doesn't play for you, but if he is playing for you, he's a great player to have. It's his second spell. He was player of the year in his first spell in a bloody awful team um, under Malky Mackay and a couple of other managers but he worked his socks off. He tried his best. And I think I've only seen 20-minute cameo on Saturday and uh, 60 minutes last night. But for me, he, he looks a, he looks a step above this division. He just knows what to do. He just gets it out of his feet and crosses it. And I think once White's in there, that's the sort of ball he wants, really. So I think... In the attacking sense, he could be the uh, the final piece in, in the jigsaw. And I guess the other notable signing that I'll mention is the goalkeeper. I think we did well to get Ben Amos in from Charlton. Um, obviously a solid keeper last year and he's looked good so far. So, yeah, all in all, I think, I mean, there are lots of other signings in there as well um, that are not worthy. But, yeah, I think... 
as it stands at the moment, I'm quite happy with the business we've done. But maybe a couple more players in the in the, in the final week of the window, and I think we've got a decent squad. I think to um, maybe up their challenge in potentially this season, which I think would be a great achievement from where where obviously we were <laughs> this time last year. Mm. You, you mentioned um, Jack Walkmore about keeping fit. You hit the nail on the head there because I think the the stumbling block for Pompey is they offered him a contract. They didn't particularly want to give him a pay rise and the third year which Wigan gave him. I think that was the main thing. And considering he's had three cruciate ligaments injuries, long-term injuries, Pompey fans knew it was obvious that he was an exceptional player whenever he played. But that was the problem. It was just the fitness issues. And I think James McLean, again, like you said, great player for Charlie White because the the um, derogatory thing that many people flung at White was, oh, it was just Aidan McGeady setting him up all the time. And you need, and yeah, you need a player like McLean to put the crosses in, have that championship quality to provide for him in the first place. I wanted to take a different way of looking at the transfer window. Obviously, with the financial stuff last year, some fans might have seen that the money that we're going to spend and think, "Oof, is it is it a bit early?" Um, in terms of thinking, do you think we're going to spend the right amount of money, or do you think it's too much or too little? Well, we haven't spent a lot in the sense of transfer fees. Um, my understanding is I think the only one that we paid is Humphreys from Rochdale. He was one of the better players in the league last year. Uh, I think we paid around about half a million for him. Um, that said, obviously we are paying some wages because you know it's not rocket science, is it? To, to attract players like White, McLean and obviously the two Portsmouth players, we must be paying them a reasonable wage. That said... You've got to remember that we lost a lot of high earners. Um, we were pretty much left with academy players uh, or, in inverted commas, journeymen who were actually still under contract. So there was no um, wage outlet before we started to build the squad. Um, and the other thing that's often people miss is the fact that you know we made some money on Dan Byrne who, because Brighton stayed in the Premier League, so you know that was a decent amount of money. Um, and we also will recoup. Um, the fees haven't been released, but I would say somewhere in the region of a million and a half for the two young players. Uh, so Joseph, who scored a few goals for us last season, um, who went to Swansea, and McGurk, who hadn't actually played a game for us, but is absolutely quality. Um, he's, he's straight into Leeds on the 23s. So we've commanded fees for those. So even with the uplifting wages, I, I suspect we're well within um, kind of any break-even issues. It might seem a lot of money because we're, we're spending on wages, but it's money that we've got without the owners having to really dip in at, at the moment. Um, so I think it's a bit unfair when everyone says, you know, we're, we're basically throwing money at things because ultimately, how do you get a squad together that progresses? You know, at the moment, we probably do need to take a chance on what more's we've got to give them three year contracts above two because that's the way we attract them to a club that you know, if people look at Wigan from last season. People don't look deeply into the new owners. They think, well, do I want to go and sign for that club? You know, in terms of the security 
Um, so I think we do need to offer something to entice them in. But as time progresses, I think people will be signing again because they think, well, this club's rolling again. You know, it's uh, very much like yourselves. You know, it's a club that had a good good run in this, um, you know, in this millennium, which is not a long time in football, really. You know, in the last 15, 20 years in the Premier League, decent runs in the Championship, um, good ground um, and a good academy as well. I'm not as convinced about Fratton Park, but obviously be- beautiful setting and uh, and I believe there's a nice pub as well nearby that we that we need to try when we go down there as well, if, if we're allowed in, of course. <laughs> there are plenty of good pubs, yeah, around Fratton. I think last week we represented the the um the brewery that's just nearby that yeah we'd recommend trying out that's the one, stag- yeah. a staggeringly good one yeah we'll give it a weekly plug um even though we get you know no royalties but it is a really good place to go for a drink uh if we move to sort of on the pitch this season then um on paper we're going to have probably had a tougher start to the season in terms of opposition than Pompey have so so far you've had Rotherham Charlton Wickham and Sunderland and have had two wins, a draw and a defeat, respectively, against those four teams. How have performances been on the pitch so far and how have those been reflected in the results that leave you in ninth? Yeah, so Sunderland, uh, first 15, 20 minutes out of the blocks, should have been 3 a lot, really, <laughs> on another day. We took the lead deservedly and after that collapsed completely. Uh, Sunderland scored pretty much straight away from a penalty, 30-odd thousand got behind them. Whether we froze, whether we just weren't quite a team, you know, I think I think there's a number of reasons behind that. But, you know, we lost 2-1 at favourite, second favourite for the league. So, there you go. Um, Rotherham, what I would say about the Rotherham game was that arguably Rotherham was slightly better team, I think, for most of that game. They looked like a side that had been together for a long time under a manager that knows this league very well. Uh, but we hung in there. Great defensive performance. And again, credit to the likes of Watmore uh, and Watt, who we got in from Newcastle as well. He's a good young player. Um, and we pinch a 94th minute winner, <laughs> which is great. The Wickham game, uh, best game of the season so far. I, I, I really rate Wickham. Um what surprised me about Wickham was the fact, I mean, if you look at signings that they've made and not kind of typical Wickham signings, you know, they've got a couple of big names in there in Volks. Uh, uh, but surprisingly, despite having him there as like whatever, seven, eight million pound player he was a couple of years ago, we were dominating that game until um, the beast came on. Uh, I can Fenway and it just, it just changed the game. Um, we tried to hold on, but uh, they scored a late winner. So the week before, we we picked the two up and then we dropped two the following week. Uh, Charlton, perfect away performance, absolutely spot on. Defend well, um, just gave them scraps, uh, hit them on the break, threw the substitutes on of quality substitutes for the last 20 minutes of play. Uh, and deservedly got uh, two 0 win, and actually thrown into us as well as of course you know we 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 draw away at Hull in the cup, 
and uh, get through on penalties and then draw at home to Bolton in the cup and get through on penalties. So really couldn't have expected much more really from uh, the way the season started. I'm really, really happy with uh, the way things are going at the moment. I think what was very impressive last night was that we still put in a good performance and we'd made eight changes. So for me, that's a good sign that we do have some squad depth if we do need it. Because I think Bolton will be a side that are probably top 10 as well. So if we if we can compete against them, then my view would be that we have enough strength in depth in most areas, I think, to, to compete through the season. Some sides might be more reliant on a first 11, but I don't think we're, we're quite in that position. It's definitely a hard start looking on paper at some of the teams. Um, wh- where do you, uh, How far do you think Wigan can go this season then in terms of a final league position? Do you think you'll be bidded around playoffs or even a bit higher than that? Yeah, so my, my, at the start of the season, uh, what I said was um, there'd be no way I'd be getting on the back of... I mean, I don't get on the back of managers anyway. I don't tend to. But, you know, I wouldn't be disappointed if we finished in the top half of the table. I thought that would be a decent season because we're building... Um, when I started to see the players that he was putting in there and, you know, we brought back Max Power as well. He's got experience of promotion uh, twice with Wigan Athletic. A good, clearly a good signing. And the way that they are starting to gel together very early. I mean, if you look at very similar types of signings to what Ipswich have made, and I think we've sort of got in there and and really started to pick up the results, whereas Ipswich is struggling to gel a little bit. So my view would be, um, I'd kind of be disappointed now if we don't get into the top six, um, but not to the extent that I'd be saying this is a disgrace and get rid of the manager. I think if we finish mid-table, you know, I'm relatively happy. We've still got a football team, you know, you've got to have perspective in football. Um, But, yeah, no reason for me, what I've seen so far, that we can't get in the top six. And, I mean, Wigan Athletic, when they get on a run, yeah, the, the the last three times we started a season in League One, or the equivalent, when we've not been in administration, we've won the league with 100 points, we've won the league with 87 points, and we've won the league with 98 points. So there is something in there, you know, Wigan don't mind this league, uh, you know, even last season staying up in those circumstances is as good as winning the league in my view. So I'd be somewhere around the top six, but I'm not at the point where I'm saying we're going to win the league with 100 points, clearly, because <laughs> uh, I suspect you'll probably have something to say about that yourself. <laughs> it's amazing to hear the difference in your sort of predictions and outlook compared to a relatively short space of time ago, sort of 12 months, where it was very much, if the club survives to the end of the season, it will be a success. It's amazing that so much can change in 12 months within a football club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and it's good. I mean, it's teams like Portsmouth and I mean, even Bolton to an extent, although there are rivals, but when you've been so close to the brink and you've, you've pretty much got to a point where you don't know whether you're going to have a football club anymore, Kind of for a long time, everything's a bonus. I guess it, after a while, things swing around again and you, you then get back to the point of saying, well, this club should be doing better, which I got the impression with Portsmouth on the jacket that it was getting to that point. But, you know, that's like, whatever, eight, nine years after you'd kind of 
come through it. At the moment, we're only six months six months through it. So at the moment, everything is still a bonus for us. And uh, we're just enjoying it. You know, we're enjoying being back in the last night's atmosphere was absolutely brilliant. You know, 12, uh, best part of 12,000 there for, a you know, a, a, a game really that I would say a few, a few years ago when we were in the championship or league one, nobody would have given a shit about basically, you know, so it, it's interesting to actually see the drive from the supporters as well. I mean, we're, we're not a big club, you know what I mean? We're not a massive club. We're never going to get, unless we're back in the Premier League, we're never going to get anywhere near filling the stadium. So if if we can get, on average, around about 10,000, 10,000 a week, you know, with some, you know, decent followings, I, I suspect yourselves will bring a reasonable following on Saturday, um, and then you've got a lot of big teams in this league, you know, who are very easily sell out, sell out an end. So, you know, we might get to a nine, ten thousand average, which for me is decent, really, at this uh, at this level. And uh, getting that momentum behind us and that really good atmosphere stands us in good stead because I think last season we were we struggled at home in those games where we went behind with no crowds to help the young players through. We really struggled. Um, so I think this season, it just gives just gives you that little minor, I'm not saying it's going to be the, the, the big difference because ultimately it's about the players on the pitch, which is the big difference. But I think all things being equal, young players will respond uh, well to having that support behind them. And I think that's what happened last night, really. I thought we put on a really good performance against what I would see as a relatively strong Bolton side. Yeah, the uh, going through the financial ringer definitely puts your fandom, supporters' fandom in perspective to seeing what's important because it's easy to argue about that the side should be better or whatever. But if you if you nearly lose your club entirely, all those arguments go out the window. And I do think fans being back in the stadium will definitely give the players a lift. It's pretty obvious that beforehand games are very different. But I think the most important question and the last one what is your score prediction for Saturday's game and who are your goal scorers? All right, so you that's I like that. So you've actually said we're scoring goals, so uh, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> um, well, so far we've not scored many in the first half, so just look out for that. We've only scored one goal in the first half, so it's going to be a tight game built on defences. Heads, my head says 1-1. One, one. But something in the Wigan water at the moment is, or maybe the beer, is saying 2-1 to Wigan. And I'm going to go for uh, Watmore and Naylor. <laughs> definitely gets column in. It definitely gets some column inches if that happens. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jacob, um, with, Jacob with the ports of gold. <laughs> very incestuous. Um, Adam, just as we wrap this up, where can we find your Wigan Athletic podcast if people want to either hear the Wigan preview, which I hear has got a wonderful guest this week on it uh, representing Portsmouth, or if they want to hear a review of the game afterwards, um, where do they need to find you? Yeah, so we're on all the uh, social uh, media, so you can find us on Twitter at at PWU Podcast, um, and then that'll link you into whatever your favourite... listening platform actually is uh, we do a 
So literally in one minute, I'll be recording the preview with some excellent insights, of course, from Portsmouth. And uh, Sunday, we will record a, a review of the game for Portsmouth fans. And I'm sure you'll also stay listening for our preview of the uh, EFL trophy game against Wolves on the 21s. <laughs> all the Wolves, uh, all the Portsmouth fans will be glued to the... Sounds like absolute must-listen material for us <laughs> all on the South Coast, that does. You, gotta, you can't have too much football, right? <laughs> Uh, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Lovely to see you again. And uh, yeah, good luck with the season yeah, on Saturday. And, and uh, hopefully by the time we meet uh, in the new year, it will be a top two battle. I'll take that. Absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank right. you very much, man. Take it easy. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. So a huge thank you to Adam for visiting us again and letting us know what to expect this weekend. Before the weekend arrives... There may be one, two, or even three new faces in the Pompey squad as the transfer window comes towards an end. We've been told to expect two or three by Danny Cowley if all things go well at the negotiating table. Based on what we've seen in the past four league games, let's have a think about what positions are needed. So if we start with a fairly obvious one that I think is fairly unanimous in terms of agreement, potential centre-back cover. So For me, we've got two obvious first-choice centre-backs playing together who have done a good job so far. But I don't think it's fair for us to expect either Downing to come back after a quite a long time away from first-team football and expect him to hit the ground running. And I also don't think it's entirely fair to expect Ogilvy to fill in there long-term if Downing can't find form because that's not the position that he's really come to Pompey to play in. Uh, Ryan, would you say that that centre-back maybe first cover position is the priority or second cover position is the priority towards the end of this transfer window? It's certainly up there in terms of priority. I would liken the priority to an attacking midfielder, but noting the centre-back position, I know Conor Ogilvie can play there, but he's also essentially, from what we've seen so far, the backup to Lee Brown. Can you expect Ogilvie to play back up to two positions throughout a 46-game season? That seems like quite a, a battle of attrition and constantly switching roles, constantly, constantly switching familiarity between what you're supposed to do. It would be more beneficial for Ogilvy if he was just focused on one position throughout the season and then you get cover for the other cover for the other role. So sense back, absolutely, because Clark's already been forced off in one game injured. Sean Raggett, we know he puts himself about and gets stuck in. God knows how many teeth he might lose through the course of this season. So we might need a centre-back to cover him there. Yeah, it's it's one of those that I've been saying for a while that we need to gain cover for. At, at the time in the post-Doncaster presser pitch side, that Danny Cowley was saying he wants three players minimum to come into the side. I had it, I had it around 3-4, but if I have to narrow it down to three, then it's got to be a centre-back. It's got to be an attacking midfielder and probably an attacking midfielder forward hybrid. But again, if I had to narrow it down, probably another attacking midfielder. I feel that Marcus Harness needs more cover. <laughs> that gap in behind Marcus, I don't want to bang on Gasson Hadney because he's young. It's it, it's not easy for him to step into that role. I just don't see it right now. I don't see how he 
leads for 46 games. So, yeah, if those are the three I have to pick from, central defender and two attacking midfielders. Yeah, I think that's certainly a fair comment. The the central attacking midfielder in that sort of position behind Marquis is the next one that I was going to touch on there. And can the Cowley brothers succeed where very few others have and find a successful specialist cam for Pompey? And if so, who? I mean, we've we've heard murmurings of potentially Jordan Shipley, Fred. Does anyone jump out at you at the moment as a potential recruit for Pompey at this stage in the transfer window, you know, where they're actually going to be an attainable signing? You're the one who does all of this, you know, scouting in between seasons. Is there anyone on your radar at the moment you've picked out as a possibility? I swear we've been talking about attacking the fielders since I've been on the show. 2000 probably, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for years, years. But probably, probably haven't had a playmaking attacking midfielder since Gary Roberts left. Because obviously Gareth Evans played there, but he was more uh, a later a later arriver into the penalty area and goal-scoring threat. Like I said, Ahadmi's not an attacking midfielder. I prefer him up front. When he moved up front, when Marcus came off, he played so much better. Um, a name uh, I mentioned in my opinion column in the news, Dan Crowley is the player that jumps out at me. He was at, he was training at Cheltenham. They offered him a contract, but apparently, according to their manager, the agent changed the goalposts, so they said no. Crowley has championship pedigree, so he fit it from Hull City and Birmingham City, so he fits the bill from with Tunnicliffe and with Williams. He's just a, a player who dictates tempo and will help the gap between the striker and the midfield. And he's on a free. I thought he would have been taken by a team earlier, but he hasn't for whatever reason. And and unless County's lined up a, a a proper transfer or a loan deal, if you're looking for a player on a free, Crowley's the only one left for me who is first team ready and you can slot him in straight away. And I do agree with Ryan. Um, right, right wing, um, we need cover for Harness since Jaden Reed got that horrible injury. And I do think we need a young centre-half as cover with a high ceiling because... Ogilvy's a left back. He's played centre half in a in a back in a back three, and he's definitely more comfortable doing that. He's he's an okay filling at centre half, but I would rather have him focus on battling with Brown for that position instead. Ryan, thoughts on Jacobs potentially filling that role behind Marquis? It's in theory, it's not a terrible suggestion. He's very competent with both feet. When he does actually play, we've seen how comfortable he is. And I think if you're operating in behind the forward, if you've got two competent feet rather than just a good one and a bad one, it opens up both sides of it. So if you're if you're in the very centre of the pitch, say 30 yards out, and you've got two competent feet you can use to drive forward, it opens up both sides for you. You don't have to, as as Freddie and I were talking about earlier, be Hackett Fairchild constantly shifting the ball onto your other foot, which takes up time. Immediately, you can just go with whatever direction you're playing in. That would be a huge boon. With Michael Jacobs, the problem is, does he last a 46-game season? Can you rely on him to get through a 46-game season? Throughout his career, the answer has been, unfortunately, no even last season, just when he came into that Pompey side around about September, really announced himself in that 2-0 win over Gillingham. And he thought, wow, this is, you know, this is a player who can drive us forward. He got an injury and was out for the next three months a few weeks later. So that's something that Cali will have to be concerned about. Obviously, Jacobs was 
late on the fitness uh, fitness level getting into this season as well. Obviously, <laughs> there was the transfer saga as well. We won't get into that. That was disgraceful behaviour from uh, from Ipswich. So, in terms of his technical ability, I wouldn't mind it. But in terms of the practicality of, okay, can we rely on him Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, when it's the deep dark of November and December? Alas, I have my doubts on that one. Interesting. Fred, thoughts on the on the same topic? Pretty much the same. Again, he's he, he's capable, but I do think you're shoehorning him in when you could try and make a permanent suggestion for that position. I think shifting Jacobs to the middle takes away proper left-wing cover for Ronan Curtis. I think shifting Marcus Harness, Pompey can't shift Marcus Harness there because who plays right wing effectively as well? Um I don't know why. I don't think Curtis would fit behind the striker either. George Hurst played fairly well, brought people into play when he came on, but he's, I think, in terms of quality, definitely a backup option. And Joe Burrell's played deeper in the midfield for most of his career. So, yeah, I think from the uh, for, from the options that that, that uh, Danny Cowley has right now, you're shoehorning it in, I think. I think that's a position where they can't make doing men. They have to bring somebody in. If you're talking shoehorns, uh, basically for a stand-in until we do potentially recruit someone to play there permanently, would uh, would the Ryan Tunnicliffe experiment not be worth a crack? Say you would put Joe Morrell alongside Sean Williams, who would sit deeper. He was really good on Saturday against Doncaster. When he came on, he was so composed on the ball, bringing it down when Doncaster cleared it and just recycled possession. So would it be worth a crack at putting Morrell alongside Williams in the in the eight role and then letting Tunnicliffe play in that role because he's so confident when he drives forward with the ball. He breaks through the banks so easily. And as we've seen already, he finds the pass that no other player's found considering he has, apart from scoring against Crew, every assist in this side right now. Would it be worth for Wiggins seeing if he can at least stand in there for a game? I think so. Um, yeah, I don't. Think, I don't think I've ever seen him play attack midfield for Luton or for um, for Millwall. He's definitely been that midfielder that's played alongside side in the two alongside a player like Sean Williams, for example. I'll give it a go. Why not? I think I think that would be better than putting Jacobs or Harness there because that takes away a lot from the other areas of the pitch. And having your having your best three midfielders on the pitch at the same time, that's not. That's really a bad thing. I think. Because I think in spurts, Morel um, showed his quality, but it was obvious that he hadn't got used to the formation or the team yet. Yeah, it's going to take time to gel. I think that's that that Wimbledon game that I kind of ignored a minute ago in the whatever the group stages of the EFL Cup or whatever it is, the game that we don't really care about a huge amount. It could be quite an interesting time to experiment with that potentially. Final thoughts on the transfer window. Freddie, are you looking forward to it being closed to get rid of these Curtis, Harness, etc. rumours? We can all get on with our lives. Or do you enjoy Ben Thompson memes and gifts being at the top of your newsfeed every single day for absolutely no reason because someone saw someone in a shopping centre once with similar hair? What do you think? Uh, did you know he was in Cosham High Street? <laughs> I'm... No, he wasn't. <laughs> no, he absolutely wasn't. Um, the form, I think it just takes... It, it, it will focus everybody on the football again because really with Curtis Pompey have basically put a valuation where 
it, it blocks everybody. If someone does pay that, fine, there you go. You can have Curtis for one and a half to two million pounds, but nobody's paying that for him. I don't see Harness leaving either. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think bring it. A, a, hopefully, Cowley can bring in the cover for the positions we mentioned. But yeah, I don't see anybody else um, pivotable, pivotal being sold anyway. Sure. Final thoughts for this week's pod. Quick touch on the new kit. So we've got, firstly, I wanted to give a shout out credit where it's due. That new women's away kit is absolutely lush. I don't know if you guys agree. Um, That sort of light blue away kit. I'm a massive fan of it. And the new Pompey third kit or the Pompey male third kit, I should say. Um, I was surprised how many people were outraged at the red. Uh, Outrage. I mean, we've all, well, I mean, social media outrage. Yeah, you know just mashing keyboards and, and and raging on Twitter. But, I mean, we've already had one Eric Kusaklep shout out on this podcast, which is normally, you know, one more than we get every season. But that's the first name that came into my head when I saw the new away strip was just Eric Kusaklep in that red and black away kit. And I quite like it, if I'm honest. The OCD in me is not okay with the stripe being slightly off-centre, but... I don't buy kits every season. I'm probably not going to buy this kit. And I sit near the top of the fratten end and my eyes are not good enough to see whether or not the stripe is exactly centre. So I'm just going to move on from that very quickly and forget it. But what do we think on the new kits, Ryan? Are we a, are we a fan or are you one of these people that I've just said are outraged on Twitter? I haven't looked at your social media reaction to the new kit yet. Uh, we'll start with a Pompey women's kit. I really like it. It's It's simple but the color of it is really striking it's just smart there's been some uh, rather heated debate amongst my brain cells as to what color it is there's been thoughts of is it turquoise is it aquamarine is it mint i have finally settled on the color being uh, alaskan spring fjord from the dulux color chart so that's one we can all note down that is the most middle-aged thing i've ever heard anyone <laughs> play on this podcast ryan so congratulations and i'm 28 <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're two years younger than me good grief <laughs> For the third kit, I like the throwback to what is one of my favourite kits. I'm not one of these people who say it's got too much red in it. Look at our socks. Um, the off-centre stripe, it makes sense when you see other teams with that kit template and the kit, uh, the collar is one half and one half the other. So I think there's a team in Holland who have a yellow and black version of that. It was kit. Young, young Boys in Switzerland, wasn't it? Oh, was it Young Boys? So yeah, that's mm. it. Um, yeah, so they've got the the yellow and black, and then the color the colors are swapped on the collar, so you can see where the off where the off center stripe comes from. But it doesn't work when our collar's entirely black. It just looks like a mistake. Uh, and I know a few neutrals or a few non Pompey fans who've been speaking to me about the kit, and they've all gone, "Is that a mistake?" Now. Yes, there's a reason for the off-center stripe, but when people who aren't fans of your club go, is that a mistake? It looks like a mistake. Outside of that, uh, I like it overall. I wish that the right-hand sleeve was red, so you'd have a nice symmetry between black and red, where it's a little bit you know, distorted, where both sleeves are black. The back of the kit's weird, where the, the black stripe doesn't run all the way up. I heard that was because they needed uh, a red panel for lettering, uh, which is true because black and white, uh, they are literally the same colour. 
Um, it's, if only white was the opposite of black, that would have G- really GCSE helped. GCSE art, actually not GCSE art, year nine art taught me that black <laughs> and white are shades, not colours. Oh, um, it, true indeed, yes. I thought you were the one with these deluxe um, paint charts, Ryan. This is meant to be your area of expertise. <laughs> I've not got to that page yet. Uh, <laughs> but overall, I outside of you know your right comments of OCD, I like both kits. I can live with both kits. The, ho- the home kit for us, I can take it or leave it. But yeah, I'm a fan of the two that we've released recently. Mm. Freddie, what are you? What are your thoughts? Are you you fairly fairly similar on the same page there? Um, yeah, pretty much. I'm ne- I'm never one to go fully in, in depth on kits. I've, I, I, the the only ones that uh, bumpy kits I didn't like is when they had that orange that was a bit garish. But yeah, I, I do like the throwback because it, it was 10 years ago since Pompey did have that style in the championship. I always thought of Marco Futax or David Norris with that shirt for some reason. Don't know why. Um, or Futax with that goal at Leicester. Oh, or that goal at Donny. Or that goal at Donny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which um, definitely wasn't a foul. Uh, <laughs> no, that was a Dave Kitson one where he elbowed it in. Oh, that was it. Yeah, el- elbowed yeah, the keeper, yeah, yeah, he literally elbowed. <laughs> he, he elbowed the keeper and elbowed the ball at the same time. Oh, my God. <laughs> the best non-goal We actually ever. sent Doncaster down that day. That's really yeah, great. I know. Yeah, that was that was the most under, it was that was a ridiculous game. One that I saw live. One that will live in the memory. But yeah, I think um, out of all the kits, I prefer the the white kit the most. If I had to choose, but I, th- I don't think any of them are bad. I, I pretty much like all of them. Really, was it that orange kit that we were wearing when we? Got destroyed by Stevenage at the st- in pre-season was oh, it God, last nice. year? Was that the well, orange? Yes, we, we wore that. Brim, orange Brim, Brim Morris's only decent game. Yeah, that that's <laughs> yeah, that's what comes into my mind when you said the orange kit. I just couldn't remember it's if that was that correct we, or not. It's weird that we won that game, but still, the accurate description for that game was we were destroyed by Stevenage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely almost forgot, and we actually won it. I just googled the result because I just remember being absolute. <laughs> I, I was laughing for the majority of the game at how bad we were. I also have an optics issue of the fact that we used the orange kit in three different games last season against teams who play in red and white stripes at home. That makes perfect sense. And and against Fleetwood who play in all red, so we wore orange. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, I don't even, I don't know how they work this stuff out sometimes. It it does seem a bit nonsensical at times. Anyway, that's enough time spent on on colour schemes. It's not really my uh, area of expertise compared to you, Ryan. Apparently, painting a, a little nipper's new bedroom or something are you is that what the color charts are for i since we have got the new place for our, our newborn daughter the interior decorator side of me has come out a little bit so th- there have been several trips like the etsy website for example for niche decorations so yeah my my understanding of color and aesthetics has greatly improved where before my favorite colors were just blue and somewhat darker blue so what what shade is the is it like duck egg blue or stinging nettle whatever? But what I don't know why I went for that. What's what's the new favourite shade, Ryan, on the painting chart? This is just top quality material. Hugh is going to be rushing to get back. Oh, favourite shade on the colour chart. This is what people tune in for. Um, I, I would go for what the people would call navy blue, but I would I would. If I was going to put my uh, my Dulux hat on again, because obviously the EFL Trophy is no longer sponsored by Johnson's Paints, so they they don't get a plug apart from that one. I would call my version of navy blue like uh, an Icelandic knight. <laughs> Fantastic! I mean, if I'm honest, I think at this point in the pod, lads, we're about an hour and a half in. So if you are still listening to this, you are Good valued. <laughs> you are. 
if this survives values. the edit, I will be staggered. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's time we wrapped it up, boys, to be honest with you. If you are still listening, you're a better person than I am because I probably would not be if I wasn't actually on the Zoom call. Freddie, lovely to see you. Thank you very much for coming on. Always a pleasure. Always what is your Wigan prediction? I haven't done Ooh. predictions. Freddie, what is your Wigan prediction before we oh, sign out and goal God. scorers? It's going to be a rough. It's going to be a very, very tough game. Easily Pompey's toughest game because Wigan have such a solid team and they've played difficult opposition already and played very well. I think I'll go with a one-all draw. Okay, one-all draw. What With John Marcus scoring, I think. Lovely stuff. Ryan, what is your weekend Wigan prediction? Unfortunately, I, I see our first defeat coming. I think we've been somewhat fortunate to keep clean sheets through all four games so far. And against a strong Wigan side, I can see this being the first time we're undone. Creativity problems at the other end uh, throughout the course of the game, not just in spurts, may haunt us as well. I see us losing 2-1. Goal scorer for Pompey? Oof. Um, we'll go with Clark Robertson. Nice. Set piece, I'm assuming. Good stuff. Yes. Um, I am going to go with a two-all draw, and I think Ahadmi will score because he's a bit of an unknown quantity. I think Watmore might do a job on Marquis, and I think Ronan Curtis will get the other one because he's getting into goal-scoring positions and just not quite having that, you know, final bounce of the ball or the final flick. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Curtis will get on board uh, on the score sheet. Lovely stuff, Freddie. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thank you for coming on, as always. You're welcome. Thanks for listening, everybody. I don't think anyone's listening at this point. I think we've lost everyone. <laughs> Ryan, I have no idea if you managed to get any Whitney Houston songs in there. If you did, they went straight over my head. Fantastic work. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast this week. It's been great having you. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be on. No Whitney Houston references, just a colour waffle. A lot of colour waffle. Um, we're going to get some backlash from Hugh on that one. Um, I think he might be back next week, whether he's better or not. Hopefully we have not lost every single podcast listener. Um, <laughs> I did threaten to derail this podcast, but not in the way you might think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have managed it in a very unorthodox. <laughs> we'll look at viewer numbers or uh, listener numbers for next week. And if they're down by 40%... and uh, yeah, I, I'll be blocked. Or quite possibly, or if the demographic for Express FM has suddenly gone up because you've got a lot more middle-aged and older people looking for colour um, recommendations for their new on suite, then we'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> Lads, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for listening to the PO forecast this week. We will be back next week to review the Wigan game, amongst other things. Have a wonderful week and play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!